may remember some time back now. Harper Mercer in a college in the United States of America barged into a classroom and began to shoot people. It seemed random, but it wasn't random. At first he shot the professor at point blank range, and then he began to question uh, the students. And his question would be, uh, what's your religion, or are you a Christian? And the ones that owned up to that stood up to admit that they were Christian. He shot. And he went through the whole classroom like that, eventually killing nine students, nine people, including the professor, and injuring another seven. And then at the, at the end of all that, he was killed in gunfire with the police. Nine dead people, seven injured, and the guy who did it, the young man, dead. And you think to yourself, what waste? And, and there's no one to account for it. I mean, who do you put on trial? He's gone. And you ask yourself, Tony, is that it then? Is that how unfair life is? That there's no deterrence for madmen? That someone can do this and just end up dying or killing themselves? And that's it. What kind of world is that? If there was a God, what kind of God allows the world to exist in that condition where there never is justice? But there's never a deterrent for doing something like that. Well, I want to suggest, friends, to you today that Daniel chapter 12, the finale to the book, intercepts those questions head on. If you want answers to those questions, Daniel chapter 12 intercepts those questions head on. It's what we're looking at today. I want to look contrary to what we've been doing recently, uh, which is mainly just a, a subheading covering the whole chapter. We're going to have four subheadings in one sermon today, which obviously means four times 35 minutes. <laughs> no, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe. We're going to try to condense four into 35 minutes. So this is going to be much quicker than normal. I, I can't cover all the verses. We'll look at the most significant ones. And the first of our subheadings, I want you to notice this, the first of our subheadings, Christian suffering will reach a crescendo as the end of time approaches. It's a sobering one. Christian suffering will reach a crescendo as the end of time approaches. Verse 1, at that time Michael, he's the great angel, he's been at odds fighting with other angelic beings uh, in the heavenly realms. We looked at that in chapter 10. So Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. Uh, there'll be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Let me just recap Daniel for you briefly. There's 12 chapters. It's pretty neatly divided into two halves. The first half deals generally with Daniel's experience in exile and shows something of God's grace to him. And the second half, it just seems to be speaking about bizarre things, but the reality, as we've been unpacking, is speaking firstly about the imminent future of the Jewish people. And by imminent, we're talking a few hundred years now. Okay, uh, the imminent future of the Jewish people, and also 
And we began to see this last time, speaking of the very future, the end of all time, speaking way, hundreds, perhaps thousands of years into the future. That's what the book is about. Chapter 11, we concluded last time, we looked at this character, Antiochus Epiphanes. It says he was one of the, the greatest enemies of the Jewish people. Came to power in 175. Uh, in 167, he apprehended uh, Jerusalem, sacrificed the pig on the temple, and for the next three years, had a systematic onslaught to Jewish people, attempting to at least annihilate their religion, perhaps even annihilate the people. But we said, if you remember, that towards the end of the chapter, it got all confusing. In the, in the last few verses, leading to verse 45, there was a confusion about, is this speaking about Antiochus? Is this speaking about past Jewish uh, uh, experience of, of great and horrible, terrible tyrants attacking them? Or is this speaking about the future? And the answer was, don't worry if you haven't remembered, but the Bible study people on Thursday may remember. remember? The answer is yes, yes, yes. It's speaking about all those things, about Antiochus, about all the past despots that have attacked Israel, and intermingled in that mishmash, this is why it's such a difficult book to understand, is speaking about the long-term future of this planet. Antiochus Epiphanes becomes symbolic then of the final and ultimate enemy of God's people. And that term God's people began with the Jewish race, but the New Testament, it's a developed term. It now means everyone who believes in the name of Jesus. So who is the ultimate and final Antiochus Epiphanes? The Antichrist. We don't know what that will look like, whether it's an actual person, my own conviction is it's a real person, just like Jesus was the, uh, the physical manifestation of God. The Antichrist, this being who will come towards the end of time, is a physical manifestation of Satan. And so just as we know that with the physical manifestation of God, everything of God's kingdom was a reality. Wherever Jesus went, there was the reality of the kingdom, wasn't there? What kind of things took place? Miracles, spectacular things. It was an exposure to the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus says the kingdom is near. So if the Antichrist is the manifestation of the devil, what would you expect in his wake? Everything that is devilish, awful. And that's what Daniel 1 is saying. Listen, listen to that again. There will be a time of distress such has not happened from the beginning of nations until now. Just like, here's my conviction, that the period, that the high point of the miraculous was evident in Jesus' ministry because he was uh, the manifestation of God. So the high point of everything devilish will be visible at the manifestation of the Antichrist, who is a manifestation of the devil. And I think that's the point here, is that there's going to come a time of trouble that the world has never known before. You see, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 is not chronological in sequence. It's not sequential to 11.45. It's why it's such a difficult book to understand. It's like the book of Revelation. In, in one sense, you can't read it in one sitting as you would read a book with a beginning, middle, and end. 
because it's th th there's this there's this cyclical pattern. Well, eleven forty-five does not lead to twelve one chronologically. Rather, twelve one is so eleven forty-five is the end of Antiochus Epiphanes, which we said is the end of the Antichrist. Twelve one is what precedes it, and this is what precedes it: suffering for the people of God like we've never known before. And so my first point is this. Life may be difficult now for Christians. You may be carrying the most tremendous burdens. Or you're aware of people who are carrying the most tremendous burdens. And we hear about the persecuted church. I was only hearing this week, a couple of days ago. Remember my friend Joseph, who was here a couple of weeks ago? He sent me a picture of a friend of his who had a petrol bomb thrown to his face just because he's a Christian. When he was here, he told me of all the horrific stories. They're just, they're unrepeatable. Now that's bad. Uh, it's, it's worse than I can imagine. It's bad. Daniel 1 is telling us, friends, that the future of the church, the future of this world with the church in it, is one where it will increasingly become horrific. Here's what Jesus said. Let me take it to Jesus. He, he, he refers back to Daniel and almost quoting elements of it speaks about this dark and horror ahead of the church. Matthew 24 when he speaks about the future. And then there'll be great distress unequaled. It's almost verbatim. Can you see? From the beginning of the world until now. Jesus wants his church to know that what Daniel prophesied is still future, is towards the very end of time, and that the future of the church is one that will increasingly lead towards difficulty and suffering and turmoil and hardship. We don't just mean just on a, on a normal level or just from local mobs, but this may well be speaking about state-sponsored persecution. I know we can expect that in China, can't we? We can expect that in India and Indonesia and, and uh, uh, Nigeria. But this is envisaging something that's far more global, where there'll be suffering unequal. So here's my first, first point. I don't know how you were called to faith, but if you were promised a better existence, you were lied to. Jesus wanted to be. Now remember, he's telling this to the disciples. He expects the disciples to tell the converts. He expects this message to reverberate to the church. He wants people to know who come to faith in Jesus that you're not signing up to a wonderful existence, but one that may entail the worst type of suffering any one of us could imagine. There's no unequal suffering ahead of us. And so, hey... I don't know. Look, I don't know if you like injections. I can't stand them. I'm a bit of a wimp. Uh, but nevertheless, I like to see the needle going in. <laughs> because for me, at least I'm ready for it. Then the worst thing is to be caught off guard. Okay. Okay. You obviously don't agree. Uh, so the point is this. Uh, it probably was, probably wasn't the best illustration, but being prepared and knowing what's ahead. You know, is a much better way to prepare than to just 
go on expecting everything's going to be wonderful because there's nothing that shakes the, the faith of a Christian more than what? There's nothing that shakes the faith of a Christian than this, what? Suffering. I tell you how to diminish numbers in your church. As soon as people start suffering, they disappear. Because we almost haven't got a category for it, have we? We were almost not prepared for it. We are expecting, you know, look, you told me this was going to be better. I heard of a story, one to the boxer who come to faith, and he said to, the guy, he said to one of his friends, if I ever find a guy who led me to Jesus, I'd sue him. He never told me it was going to be this hard. He never said it would be this difficult. He never said I'd have to struggle in my faith and have opposition. Christian, I want you to know that as we journey together, that we're heading towards increasing difficulty, increasing difficulty between church and state, between church and the community, between a Christian and his neighbor. What did Jesus say? Between a father and a son. This is the way the future is heading. And so the Bible tells us this, to be sure that we're prepared for the worst. Christian suffering will reach a crescendo as the end of time approaches. Just imagine the Jews hearing this message. They already had it terrible. They've gone back to the promised land. They're expecting things to be much better. And Daniel is telling them, not only will things be continually unsettled for their near future, but that the ultimate, towards the ultimate future, things will be far, far worse than anything that heard about from their forefathers when the exile began with Nebuchadnezzar. Christian suffering will reach a crescendo as the end of time approaches. It's not all despair this morning. Bear with me. Secondly, time is moving in a linear motion towards a definite end. That's a clear message of the Bible it comes up in Daniel. Time is moving in a linear motion towards a definite end. Look, I love sci-fi movies. Back to the Future is one of the best about time travel. But the Bible is absolutely clear that time is moving in one direction and we have no access again to the past, only to the future. It's like an escalator that you're glued to it's moving consistently in one direction. And what the Bible says, contrary to the philosophy of the world, it's moving towards an end. God has capped time. And we're moving towards it. And here it is, listen to this. He replied, go your way, Daniel. Daniel wants to know more about the future because the words are closed up and sealed until the end of time. In effect, God is saying to Daniel, you've seen enough. There's not more to be seen. Verse, 12, verse 10, many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. And in verse 11, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Verse 12, blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. Let me give you the context. So first of all, this has already happened. 
We said that the figures are symbolic, but this event has already happened because Daniel was speaking about who? Who did we say Daniel was speaking about? What event was happening in the temple? Antiochus Epiphanes, the event of sacrificing the pig. So the first thing I want to say is that this has already occurred. But we said, yes, 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 when, when uh, Theresa answered my question earlier, is he speaking about the present, the past, or the future? We said, yes, 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 yes. Well, we said it three times. I can't count. Okay, there's something about biblical prophecy that's worth noting, that it has this reverberating effect. In other words, there's more than one fulfillment. And although this has already happened, it's future. And in a future sense, I want to suggest, friends, this is speaking about 1,290 days, 1,335 days. There's a bit of discrepancy. No theologian can get his head around why there's a bit of a discrepancy between those two figures. But effectively, this much we can conclude. That is talking about a very specific and set period. So we said, haven't we, numbers are symbolic in Revelation. In Revelation, we have said that. We've also said numbers are symbolic in Daniel. I, image, pictures are being used as imagery. We've already seen this period, 1,290 days, is, is effectively equivalent to in a lunar calendar, three and a half years or 42 months, according to Revelation. So we have a period of about three and a half years. It's a very definite period. I want to suggest, friends, this is the period from the death of Jesus to the end of time, the, from, from, the, from the death of Jesus and the end of human history. It's a time, it's a, it's a symbolic period denoting the end of all human history. Quite how many days it is, we don't know. I know there are many theologians, there are many writers, many authors, many YouTubers who have had a go these days and have come up with all kinds of weird and wonderful and fantastic explanations and dates of times as, as to when the world will end. I struggle with that. Uh, please forgive me if some of that appeals to you. I struggle with that. I think the number is merely telling us that this is a large period of time, which I think is the time from Jesus' death till the end of the world. But it's telling us this much, and this is what I'm interested in just now, is that it's a it's a clearly set time. It's 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 got a clear beginning end. In God's mind, it's a specific time. And the purpose and the point we're trying to make this morning is, is that it's a, it's a time that will come that human life has an end by date stamped on it. Look, we've all been to school. You remember what it's like? I wrote an essay when I was at school. It was called, uh, School Days Are the Best Days of, of Our Lives. And I was, well, 14, and I was thinking, come on, seriously? But the older you get, I mean, Jimmy, you know this, the older you get, and when you get to pensionable age, it's, it's, you look back at school, and it's a bit like that, isn't it? And you look back to those wonderful days when you were at school and carefree, you know, you played and you went home and you just had your tea and you played out, you had no worries in the world. And you think, actually, school days were the best days of my life. And when you were at school, didn't we all imagine that we got the whole of our lives ahead of us? And people would tell us, you got your whole life ahead of you, so study harder, do more of your homework, make something of your life. It's a reality, friends, that when we're young, we expect a fair crack at the whip. You know, our seniors have had a fair 
crack of the whip. All those elderly people that we, we, we knew have had a fair crack of the whip. And we imagine, don't we, that we are entitled to, that we can expect our life to, to, to mature in the way for us to, to finish schooling, maybe go to uni, to get a job, maybe get married, maybe have kids, to get a car and a future and grow old and have grandkids and great-grandkids and even great-great-grandkids. We expect that, don't we? We expect somehow the whole world over that life and time will just keep moving. And Daniel is telling us in very definite terms that God has set a boundary on time. Listen to our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he in his little in his sermon about the end of the world uses similar terminology there to reiterate the same point. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Time will finally stop. I got this cheap watch from uh, Malaysia when I was traveling through there last year. Um, it's quite a fancy looking watch, but it's, it's a cheap watch. Uh, and at first I thought, who needs to buy expensive watches? This keeps better time than all the watches I've ever had. Well, that was until I flew out of Malaysia and got back home. And then I found out every few days it stops. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and you think that, you know, I, I, have, to, I have to double take. You know, am I still here? You know, has Jesus returned? Is it the end of the world when all watches stop? The watch sometimes stops, friends. Here's one thing Jesus wants us to know. He's speaking to us through Daniel. He's speaking to us through his own words. That the clock will one day be stopped. Time is moving in a linear motion and there's a definite end to the world. And here's the challenge then. If we're aware that God has set a limit on time, am I living in the light of that? Am I aware that the house that I'm saving up for, I may never live in? Am I prepared for that career that I'm working towards of never entering that career? Am I planning my life in such a way that I'm taking into account that God has set a time for when this world will come to an end. I may never get to it. How much different would my life look today and tomorrow and my plans if I was certain, if I really believed that time had an end? Would I live differently? Time is moving in a linear motion towards a definite, de definite end. Number three, I'm getting shorter now. Justice will be served. Justice will be served. Multitudes will sleep, verse two, multitudes will sleep in the dust of the earth will awake others to shame and everlasting com contempt. Boy, is this a lowly verse. This is the first really significant verse in the Old Testament that speaks about life beyond the grave. It's the clearest example of it. 
He speaks, look, the, the, the Jewish re remnants who've gone back from exile to Jerusalem and to their country know something about suffering for sins. Why were they in exile? For sins. They know something about suffering. But how long did it last? It was temporary. Here's something Daniel is telling them. And it's something that would have come to a shock to them, no doubt. And the point is quite simple, that life continues beyond the grave. Here's what Jesus said in John 5, 25. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And it continues in verse 28. Do not be amazed of this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. <coughs> Daniel is telling the exiles that beyond death there's an existence. And more than that, there isn't just existence there's an accounting for life. They've known temporary accounting seven decades for sins committed on earth. Now they're hearing it doesn't just end there. That God is able to resurrect dead people to give them an accounting for their lives. In other words, it does matter how we live today because beyond the grave, there's judgment to come. Those of you who have got green fingers, do you know about the rose of Jericho? Anybody heard of that plant? It's from, I think it grows in places like Texas. It is on the left, you can't see it very clearly. But it can lie dormant and dead for 10 years. 10 years. And with the first sign of rain, it sprouts green shoots it's an incredible plant in layman's term it's called the resurrection plant because it comes back to life jesus is saying and he's picking up what daniel says to us there in his prophecy that there is a resurrection of dead people it means that when we die it's not the end it means that whatever crimes that are that are that are on me when i die I am resurrected to pick up where I left off. It means that if I do terrible things and end up dying before I face justice in this world, it means I will awake one day to face the justice for my crimes. Listen to this, the Revelation 20. We said the Revelation and Daniel tie up, picks this up incredibly. Listen to this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. Verse 12, he picks up on Daniel 12. And I saw the dead, great and small. Uh, the, 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 the Harold Shipmans of Britain, he was a doctor who killed lots and lots of his patients and then killed himself. It includes a Hitler who executed 6 million Jews and was responsible for 80 million worldwide deaths. It includes your neighbor, that lovely lady who lives opposite you, who wouldn't say boo to a goose, is always willing to lend a helping hand when you need one. 
Look, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead. In verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. God's justice will catch up with all humans, whether or not they're dead or alive. That's the message of Daniel, it's the message of Revelation, is that ultimately there will be an accounting. You know, I sometimes imagine it'd just be lovely if death was the end. Because I've lost some very lovely friends who I know are without Jesus. But Jesus is really clear. Listen to this in John 3, 18. Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son to die a death where Jesus hasn't figured in our life, where faithfulness, faithfulness to Jesus hasn't been there, when we've not believed in his name means we are resurrected to a judgment for the crimes we've committed against God. Daniel is telling the exiles that they have to be wary of how they live because at the end of time, God will raise them to life to give an account for how they've lived. Jesus is telling us that's a reality for all of earth's inhabitants, that of every being that has ever lived, there's a resurrection to come. It means, at the very least, I must watch how I'm living. But it means more than that, doesn't it? What, does it? what else does it mean? It means I must watch how I'm living, but it means way more than that. What else does it mean? It means I must be concerned about how everyone else is living. You have a right to be interested in everybody's business. You know, I'm, I'm amazed when, when sometimes you try and tell someone about the gospel and it's like you're, you're invading their privacy, that it's none of your business where they stand. You have an obligation, friend, knowing that there's a resurrection of the dead, to speak that truth, whether or not they want to hear it. You have an obligation. Let me ask you this question. If you knew there was a bomb going to go off in this building at 12.30 today and you're the only one that knew, would you have an obligation, Jim, to tell the people on that side of the room? Would you have a moral obligation? In fact, you have a legal obligation. I think. Do you? No, I'm getting completely wrong. Okay. Look, cut that bit out, okay? You never heard that. Erase it from your mind. You certainly have a moral one. Okay, that is in, in, you do in some context, wrong context. Okay, you have at least a moral obligation to warn those people. Christian, why do we take pains to share the gospel with our neighbors and friends when they don't want to hear it? Look, look, I tried to speak to somebody one day. You know, I remember knocking on the door once. The guy came around with a broomstick. Seriously? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe he wanted me to do his cleaning. We have an obligation, whatever the cost, to tell our neighbors that there's a judgment to come and there's justice to be meted out. Look, I need to finish. Sid, how much time have I had? 
I'm up. And my time is up. Okay, so I need to conclude. Let me just conclude with this. I, I won't finish my sermon. I, I don't want to visit Daniel all over again. But let me just finish with this final point. Grace will be received. Grace will be received. Verse 2 again. Multitudes of sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. I've got a stack of verses here. I haven't got time to quote these, but let me, let me just sum, my sermon, sum up my sermon. There's a resurrection to come. Some will rise to be judged. We have an obligation to respond to that. But here's how the book ends, and really, I, sh- I, sh- I haven't got time to finish it properly now, but if I can tell you this, some will be resurrected to eternal life with Jesus. That's why it's worth it. That's why it's worth persevering. That's why it's worth keep coming to church. That's why it's worth keep sticking your head in the Bible. That's why it's worth keep laboring for the gospel. That's why it's worth keep saying no to sin because it will finally be worth it. Jesus has a future planned for all those who are faithful to him. And whatever you've faced for Jesus, whatever you've done for Jesus that has had some negative impact, whatever your life looks like now, however close you are to giving up on Jesus, however close you are to pursuing a better way of living, Jesus' word to you is there's a resurrection at the end of time. And for all those who are resurrected in Jesus, there's an everlasting heaven. There's an everlasting relationship. There's a cessation to suffering. And there's an eternal heaven to come. Hang in there. Don't give up. However bad the world gets, hang in there. And let's do this. Phone somebody up this week and ask them this question. How are you getting on? You struggling? Can I help you? Can I have a coffee with you? Do you want to come round for a meal? Do you want to go for a walk? Let's have a chat. You know how difficult it is for yourself on this journey. Phone somebody up, Christian, and encourage them on the journey and remind them it's worth it. It's worth it because there's a resurrection of the dead and all who die in faith will be resurrected to live with Jesus. I think we may have one final message next week on Daniel. I'll see how we get on this week. But thank you.